Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. All of our lives have been shaped in some way by the leaders around us. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Some of which we've never met and seem a world away. Others are close to home and know us well. It's easy to look outside of ourselves and identify great leaders. But how did they get there? And what can we learn from their journey to be the leaders God has called us to be? Let's look at the makings of a great leader. Well, good morning. It is a good morning. I'm just gonna tell you, it's a good morning. Glad you guys are here. Um, wanna welcome all of you that have joined us today. I wanna welcome all of you at our campuses. Perhaps you're online because you were celebrating the Cubs' victory last night and you weren't able to make it to church, but I'm glad you're here. It's a good day. It's a good, good day. Uh, excited to be with you guys. Also wanna mention that we are planting another church today. We, uh, if, you're, if you're new to Seacoast, one of the things that we just do on top of everything else that we do here is we plant churches. Uh, we wanna see a life-giving church in every community in the world. Uh, and uh, we, we believe every community needs a life-giving church. And so today, this is so cool, the church planting organization that we uh, launched about 15 years ago is planting a church and it's, in, it's called Pathway Community Church. And it's in Marietta, Ohio. Uh, with Pastor Ryan and, and Jana Miller, which one of our trustees, uh, Brent McCurdy, was telling me his hometown, uh, which is kind of cool. But I also love that because the, our, our church planting team had the foresight to plant a church in Ohio, which is the same state that there's a baseball team that'll be playing against the Chicago Cubs in the World Series. And we have a church that's positioned to help them get through their sorrow when they lose that game. And so can we just celebrate the Cubs? I mean, come on, it's been a long time. So. Our family's from Northern Illinois, and so we kind of have that, that Cubs, we, we've always been Cubs fans, so sorry about that. Well, we'll get into our series. We're starting a new series, um, and it's called POTUS, and um, it's an exciting series. We're gonna give you a three-step uh, guide to who to vote for uh, during the election this year. It's gonna be, I'm, I'm just kidding. You guys get so, you know, we're not talking about the election. How many of you agree you've heard enough about the election outside of church? Let's, let's not go there. So we're not doing a series on the election, but what we thought is, you know what, since we are in this season where we are electing a president of the United States, an important thing that happens every four years in our country, um, uh, why don't we talk about leadership? Why don't we talk for a little bit about what it would look like to be a better leader of us? And the cheesy deal would be the president of the us. And so, you know, forgive us for being a little bit cheesy, but we're looking inward to go, well, how can I be a, a better leader in the spheres of influence that God has given me? And many of you may be going, you know what, that's great for business leaders or for certain people, but I'm, I'm not a leader, so I, I, it doesn't apply to me. Well, we, we kind of um, took that option off the table last weekend when we opened up our series. We talked about the fact that all of us are leaders. All of us have a responsibility to lead at least the person who is sitting in your chair. Uh, turn to your neighbor and say, the person sitting in your chair is probably the most difficult person that you'll ever lead, right? I mean... Self-leadership is, is, is a challenge. It's, it's something we all do, but many of us lead a family or we lead in a relationship or a place at work. All of us, all of us have responsibilities to lead. So we're doing this series. We're calling it POTUS, and it's a five-week series uh, that we turned into four weeks because of Hurricane Matthew, uh, which is fine usually, but when your series is based on an acronym that's five letters, it kind of squeezes things. So last week, 
we hit two letters, platform and obscurity. We talked about how there's single chair leaders, there's multiple chair leaders, there's platform leaders, and that God really determines the leadership gifts, but we have to be good stewards of that. And then we talked about obscurity in the sense that a lot of our leadership is formed in the obscure moments, in, in the times where nobody else is watching, when God's developing our character and our heart. So we crammed those two weeks into week one. This week is week two, and uh, we're gonna talk about threshold. I'll talk to you about that in a minute. Next week is week three. It's you. It stands for you need to be here during week three of the series because we're making an important announcement. Pastor Greg will be uh, with us next weekend, and probably one of the biggest announcements that we've ever made as a church is happening next weekend. So we wanna encourage you, if you love this church, if you call this your home church, come next weekend and hear about it. Uh, you can ask us about it between now and then, but we're not gonna tell you. And so just come next week. But threshold, threshold, what, what is that about? Threshold is defined as a place or a point of entering, of beginning or entering. Threshold, we all have these threshold moments in our lives. Probably the most obvious example of a, a threshold that we interact with every day is a door, right? It's a place of beginning or of entering. And of course, you have the literal threshold that's at the bottom. But, but this doorway is, it signifies the end of, of one room and the beginning of another. And every time we cross through, we, we cross a threshold. But, but we have these threshold moments in our lives, many of which we've, we've experienced. Uh, we, we think about these moments. Here's one, the, the graduation, right? Um, a threshold moment that signifies the end of one season and the beginning of, of another. And whether you've graduated kindergarten or middle school or high school, college, whatever, there are these lines in the sand moments that we look forward to that, that set us into a new season of our lives. How about this one? Man, I remember how excited I was about this one. Driver's license, right? Like threshold moment when you pass that test, in my case and some of yours, on the second or third time that you took it, but when you pass that test, it's like freedom. I remember being like, I can go to the, the gas station and, and buy a candy bar all on my own. It's like this incredible freedom, this, this moment, threshold moment. You got, of course, um, the wedding day is a, is a threshold moment, right? And incredible, you're, you're never the same uh, from that moment, especially if you dated as a Christian and did it the Christian way, and it's like, man, a lot of perks came with being married. I will say that for Lisa and I, Absolutely. Um, the Lord designed it. Praise God for that. But, but so here's the deal. I actually did the, I carried her across the threshold. Like, you know, the traditional, like, let's walk through the doorway. If you're not married yet and you plan on doing that, I just want to encourage you, you need to angle a little bit when you go through the door, okay? Because, yeah, you don't want to bang, bang, bang her head on there. But you've got um, these moments that change our lives, right? I mean, having, having a child. Life-changing, it's the end of a, a season of maybe being um, married or certainly being without child. You, you have a child and everything changes. You, 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 you cross this threshold into this new moment. Well, these are all good. These are threshold moments that we look forward to, we plan for, we often spend a lot of money on these threshold moments. But I wanna spend our time today talking about a different kind of threshold moment. One that I believe is critical in the development of every leader. How we handle these threshold moments uh, really shape how and, and, and to what degree we're able to lead. And it's threshold moment of pain. Pain. You know, this is one that 
we don't really often plan for, we certainly don't look forward to it, but we all experience it, right? I mean, Jesus said, in this world, you're, you're gonna have trouble. But, but there's something, there's a leadership lesson in, in, the, in, in pain that I think we can learn as we look at the scriptures and, and, and study together to see that, that, that God will use and shape us based on how we handle our pain. Uh, I love the way that Sam Chand, who wrote a great book, it's called Leadership Pain, and if you lead an organization, if you lead a family, I'd encourage you to read it. It's just an incredible, incredible book, but he said you will only grow to the threshold of your pain, that you'll only grow to the, your willingness to, to, to experience pain. James said it this way in the Living Bible. Uh, he said, dear brothers, is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Then be happy. How many of you bet that James got punched in the face after he <laughs> wrote that? I mean, come on. To his credit, he explained himself, and we'll look at that in a minute. But how do you handle pain? How do you handle pain? Everybody handles pain differently, right? I mean, for example, let's say uh, you're, you're working on something in the garage or whatever, you're building something, and, 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 and the thing that happens to anybody who's ever wielded one of these things, uh, it's happened to all of us, right? You, 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 you take a swing and you hit your finger, right? How, how do you handle that? All of us handle it differently. Some people just need to, tears need to flow, right? It's like it happens, you're in pain, and tears just need to come out to, to release that pain. How many of you say, yeah, I, I cry when, I, when that, that happens to me. I just need to cry. Okay, awesome. Not very many of you are admitting that, especially not the men, but some of us do at the campuses. They're, they're, they're raising their hands, but we, we cry. How many of you get mad when that happens? It's just anger. You are upset. How many of you say words that you, you often don't say in church when that happens? Okay, a lot of hands. That just gives us a feel for who we're with today. Um, <laughs> spirit of honesty has come over us. But we all handle our pain differently. But w when it comes to the life-altering, threshold moment types of pain that we go through, well, we all handle it differently. You know, maybe that's the loss of somebody that, um, that, you, that you loved or an abuse or something that happened to you or a financial Situation, maybe it's a relationship that, that ended. These, these deep moments of pain, we all handle them differently. I found that we tend to be on one of two ends of a spectrum. Number one, uh, a lot of us, when we have those moments, that pain comes, maybe that unexpected news, that phone call, and we become buried by that pain. We just are buried underneath the weight of that pain. And that may have happened last week or last month or last decade, but it's kind of defined our lives. We've never been able to, to, to get out from under the weight of that pain. It's, it's, it's buried us. And in most meaningful conversations that we have, that moment comes back up. That moment we talk about it, it's, it's defined our lives. We become buried by our pain. Some of us are on the other end of that spectrum and that the pain happened and over time we learned to bury our pain. Rather than being buried by it, we've learned to just bury it, right? That same phone call, that same news, we just kinda learned to ignore it. We stuffed it, we buried it, and we just try not to talk about it anymore. And most days we, we work out okay with that, but when someone starts to walk around that, when someone maybe mentions it 
it all comes rushing back out. We've never really dealt with it, we've just buried it. Your loved ones know not to bring that topic up because it's still really, really sensitive for you. We, we, we've buried our pain. If I'm being honest with you, I'm probably in this camp, you know, when it comes to my tendencies towards pain, would be to, to bury it. I remember when our family first moved to Charleston to plant this church, actually, um, the first summer that we were here, uh, we had my grandparents came in to visit us and we decided to, um, to, to, to load up the family into the minivan and to go be a tourist in our own town. We were gonna go to Charlestown Landing. We lived in Somerville at the time and uh, we got in the van and we were on I-26 driving to Charlestown Landing and all of a sudden the traffic stopped in front of us and we slammed on our brakes and thankfully our van was able to stop prior to hitting the car in front of us. But unfortunately the 18-wheeler semi-truck was not able to stop before it hit us. And the police reports would say that the 18-wheeler made direct uh, collision into the back of our vehicle going 55 miles an hour. Brakes went out on it. And um, rather than smashing us into the car in front of us, our, our, our van popped up and it began to roll. It rolled over the median on I-26 into oncoming traffic, rolled all the way across those four lanes and came to, to rest on the other side of the highway. And that moment was a blur for me, but it was, a, it was a threshold moment of pain for our family. It took a while to get us out of the car. They ended up having to use the jaws of life to, to tear the, the car in half, basically. And I was towards the bottom of the, the, the car, and so I was one of the last ones to be brought out. And I remember being lifted up out of the car and walked over to the highway, I-26, to see the bodies of my three siblings laying on the highway clothes cut off of them and people working on them. I saw my youngest sister, Jenny, her, her legs were just mangled. Uh, they had tire marks on them from the, the, the truck actually ran over her legs when it made contact with our car. My sister, Jessica, was laying there and she was screaming in pain, agonizing pain. I couldn't even see her face because she, she was bloody everywhere. I could see the whites of her eyes and I could just see her screaming and screaming and screaming. She ended up having hundreds of stitches to have... To, to, to put her face back together, just an incredibly painful situation for her. And then my brother, my older brother, at the time, my hero. I mean, my, uh, I was seven years old, so we played every day in the yard together. We competed with each other. He's laying on the highway, lifeless. I asked somebody, what's going on with Jason? And they said, Jason's gone, but we need to focus on helping the people who aren't. It's like my whole life was frozen in this moment, just seeing my, my siblings laying on the highway in pain. And somehow I was able to escape um, without any major physical damage, but that moment changed me. It was obvious that in the beginning it buried me. I mean, I was, I was messed up as a result of that pain. I can remember crying every day of, of my third grade year up until about the first three months of school, just crying because my brother was still in the hospital, it turned out he wasn't dead, thank God. Uh, he was in a coma. It took him several days to get out of and several surgeries to recover from. But this moment of pain, he would say that it was life-altering for him in the sense that he knew from the, the time he recovered from that that God had a plan and a purpose for his life and even that he's doing what he's doing today at Seacoast as a result of it. But for me, it just, it messed with me. And, and I would have nightmares 
every single night and anytime my parents would get in the car to go anywhere, to go to the hospital to visit them or to go to work, I would just sob uncontrollably because I knew that it was gonna happen again, that they were gonna get in an accident, that something was gonna happen and I lived in the fear of losing somebody that I loved. It was crushing. You know, the further removed I got from that accident, the more I buried it. And I just attempted to forget about it. And when those dreams would come and those feelings would come, I would just kind of suppress them. And I learned to just live with that pain buried underneath me. And I, honestly, I, I did okay. Several years later, I'm having dinner with my wife, Lisa, here in Mount Pleasant. And we're eating at a restaurant and the family that was eating next to us got up to leave. And one of the parents left with one of the kids to go to the car. The other parent was staying to pay the bill and the youngest child was hanging out with that parent. And in the hustle of them leaving, that young child got up and, and ran towards the door to join the other parent. And so we watched as this child ran and, and ran out the door and just ran out into the parking lot. And the second he walked into the parking lot, he got hit by a car. And literally, this little body just flew and laid there on the pavement. And it was like, I, I was paralyzed in that moment. My wife jumped up and ran out immediately to offer help. And the child ended up surviving that, that accident. But I was just stuck in my seat, sat at my table. I couldn't move. And I began to process that. I started by just shrugging it off and saying, well, you know, Lisa does that stuff. I don't. I'm not into, you know, she's in medicine and, and I, I'm not. But but I realized that there was something going on inside of me, that, that that memory of seeing my siblings laying out on the pavement came rushing back. And I started to ask questions like, why, why couldn't I move? Why couldn't I get up and help? And I began to process that a little bit with her and with my small group and feel like as I was processing it, the Lord spoke to me. And here's what he told me. He said, Josh, I have a plan for your life that's gonna part of that plan is gonna be helping other people walk through some painful circumstances and situations in their life. But if you don't learn to deal with your own pain, you're not gonna be able to help others deal with theirs. This is gonna limit your leadership. So I began to get some counseling and, and began to learn how to process my pain in a healthy way. So most of us live in one of these two extremes. What about you? Where, where, where do you land on that spectrum? I've found that leaders learn to embrace pain in a different way. And that's what I want us to talk about. Look at this quote. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I wanna talk about three principles, three truths about pain that, that leaders learn to embrace. Again, we don't, it's not that leaders are these strange people that learn to love pain. I'm not saying that at all, but there are some truths about pain that leaders learn to embrace. And the first one is this. My pain puts me in position to help others. If I will allow it to, if I'll give my pain to God, he will use my pain to put me in position to help others. I want, if you have your Bibles, turn to story in John chapter 11. Uh, there's a danger with this story in that if you've been coming to church for a long time, if you grew up in church, you know this story, and you know how the story ends. And, and so here's what I want you to do. When we start talking about the story, try to forget that you know how the story ends, because what your mind will do, it'll skip forward and go, yeah, I know how that story ends, and we'll, we'll miss some things that are in the story 
And I think if, if, if we'll allow ourselves to, to really understand and, and feel what the people in the story felt, it's gonna show us some things about our pain. The story's about a guy named Lazarus, right? And if you've been in church, you know that Jesus ends up raising Lazarus from the dead. It's one of the most amazing miracles that he ever did. An amazing, amazing story. But let's kind of just get into the story and see if we can learn about how, how we handle our pain. John 11, verse one, says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. Now, I want you to notice something about this. They didn't say his name. They just said the one that you love is sick. Jesus didn't ask a follow-up question. He knew who they were talking about. What that tells me about Lazarus is he and Jesus had a very close relationship. Jesus, later it'll tell us, he, he deeply loved this person. This wasn't a, a stranger that needed help. This was a dear friend of his that had become sick. In verse four, when he heard this, Jesus said something that may be one of the most controversial things that he ever said in the Bible. He said, this sickness will not end in death, no, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. He said this sickness that Lazarus is facing, it's not because of an attack of the enemy. It's not because of something Lazarus did or something that he ate. This sickness is for God's glory. That'll mess with your theology a little bit if, if, if you think about that. I don't know about you, but I, I, I love God to get glory, but I much prefer God get glory when I throw the winning touchdown pass in the game and then I get down on my knee and I do the Tim Tebow and I give, the, the microphone comes in. That, I wanna give God glory. Like let me, to, to God be the glory. That's my preference. Or, or we get the promotion at work and our, our friends are like, hey, how did you do that? What did you, it's like, man, to God be the glory. I like it when God gets glory that way. But Jesus says, hey, there's another program that's at work. And it's oftentimes a lot more effective and, and, and that this sickness, if, if we'll allow it to, God wants to get glory and he wants to point people to his son. Huh, that's interesting. Let's keep reading. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then his, he said to his disciples after that, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you wanna go back? That's another interesting thing to learn about our pain. The disciples are like, hey, I don't know if you remember this, Jesus, but last time we were there, they tried to stone you. And I almost got hit with a rock. I know you pulled off this little magic trick where you disappeared. I almost got hurt. Let's not go back there. I, I've been hurt there. I don't wanna go back. We do this too, don't we? I'm not going back there. Jesus, let's, you know the long distance miracle that you did that one time? Let's do the, the, the healing by text this time. Let's just send a text and Lazarus will be fine. I don't wanna go back to that place that represented pain for me. Because I know you'll take care of yourself, but I might get hurt if we do that. It's interesting how we tend to learn how to cover and respond to these places of pain in our lives. And then I wanna fast forward to John 11, 32 through 35. When Mary reached that place where Jesus was and she saw him, so he's now come back, she fell at his feet and she said something to him that most of us have said in our moments of pain. 
She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Have you ever said that to God? God, if you would have shown up, you could have stopped that from happening. God, if, if, if you would have been here, my loved one could still be alive. Why didn't you intervene? I know as our family has experienced loss through the years, I've asked that question. God, how, why? Why didn't you show us? Why, you know, how could we not have seen that heart attack coming? If you would have been there, if you hadn't waited two days, we wouldn't be in this situation. That's an honest response to God with our pain. Then when uh, Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. His heart was broken. He, he was moved in spirit and, and so he says, where have you laid him? And, and they say, hey, come and see, Lord. And they replied and he comes and he, he sees the body of his friend and the Bible says the shortest two verses in scripture, Jesus wept. He cried over the loss of his friend. He cried over the, the sadness of, of the people that he loved. I don't know about you, but I get a lot of hope from that verse. To know that when we go through these dark moments, when we experience the pain in our lives, that Jesus isn't standing from afar. In fact, Psalm says, or yeah, Psalm says that he enters in, that God draws near to the brokenhearted in Psalms 34, I believe, but, but Jesus wept. He cried over the pain of his friends. And ultimately, by walking through some painful moments like these and others that we'll talk about, Jesus knows what it is to experience pain, and, and he knows that it positions us to help others. If we will allow him to, God's gonna turn our, our pain that dark place for you into a platform for his glory. You can't look around this church without seeing that story played out over and over and over again. Think about Fred and Terry Reed who went through one of the darkest places that a marriage can go through, struggled with all the things that, that tend to tear a marriage apart, but they brought their pain to God and they, they took the hard steps of repenting and of getting counseling and of walking through the, the restoration process. And now that pain has become a platform that's called Re-Engage, where hundreds of couples have come and, and have been healed and have walked through their pain with the help of Fred and Terry because they allowed their pain to put them in position to help others. I think about Tom Young, who a long time ago went through a job loss in his career. He, he had things moving in the right direction and he, he went through a job transition and it was a painful moment for him, but he didn't get mad about it. He ended up allowing God to teach him some things through that and, and became part of the team that helped us start Restart, which is now a platform that was birthed out of pain that helps other people who are walking through career transition. I think about John and Vanessa Coker and Diane Robinson and John Sonnendecker and th these, these people who have walked through the, the deep, dark pain of grief, of losing a loved one way sooner than they should have. And they've grieved and they've hurt and they've wept, but they've given that pain to God. And God has turned that pain into a platform that we call grief share around here that helps people walk through the loss of loved ones. See, you can't find meaningful ministry that wasn't birthed out of a place of pain, in most cases anyways. Craig Snook and Celebrate Recovery, his pain was addiction. His pain was drug abuse and alcohol abuse and 
He, he, he gave that pain to God and he allowed himself to, 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 for, to give God the reins of his life and to get sober and now that platform is called Celebrate Recovery. And every week we help dozens and dozens of people walk through the difficult pain of addiction. And so if we will allow them to, God's gonna use our pain to put us in position to help other people. We all deal with pain. That's, I wish I could tell you that there's a path that you could choose that doesn't have pain. But Jesus said in this world that you're gonna have trouble. It's just gonna happen. But leaders learn that pain can put them in position to help other people. Where are you? What, what, what pain are you going through right now? Have you considered that possibly God wants to use that dark season that you're walking through to help somebody else? Could be the beginning of, of a ministry that he wants to use you for, of a, of a purpose and a calling that he has in your life. Doesn't make the pain less heavy or less real, but it does give purpose to it. It does give some meaning to it. So my pain puts me in position to help others. A second thought is that pain is God's classroom for my growth. Pain becomes God's classroom for my growth. It's never fun, but if we'll allow it to, God will use this threshold of us walking through these moments of pain to develop us into the people that he's called us to be. Think about my son, Miles. Miles plays soccer, I've told you that before. He's, he's a good athlete. He's been playing rec league soccer and he, he loves soccer. He's scored lots of goals and he's made the all-star team and we're just super proud of his development as a, as a soccer player. But we decided at the end of last season, he actually said, hey, dad, can we try out for, can I try out for club soccer? I said, all right, we'll try it. If you don't know what that means, that's like basically they stick a, a vacuum to your bank account, take all of your money, and then you go travel and do the soccer stuff. So we thought, okay, we'll, we'll let you try that. And so he tried out and he made the team. It was great, we love it. So he had his first tournament a couple weeks ago and um, the team did really, really well. They, they won three out of the four games. They made it the championship game of this tournament. Eventually they lost in the championship game and Miles played good. Uh, he passed the ball well, he spaced himself well. He had several good shots at the goal but he didn't score any goals in the four games of the tournament. Now he's used to scoring four goals in most games that he plays in and so I could tell it bothered him that he didn't score goals. So we were having dinner that night as we came home from the tournament and I said, Miles, how do you feel about the tournament? Your team played really well, what, what, what are you thinking? And he said, well, Dad, you know, I've been thinking about it. I think I wanna play rec soccer again. I think I wanna go back to rec league. I was like, okay. Well, why, why do you wanna go back to rec league? And he said, Dad, I was better then. I scored more goals and I just felt, I felt like I was a better soccer player then. You know the truth, he was not a better soccer player. He's way better today. He's getting better training. He's learned better foot skills. He learns a lot. He's learned a lot more about spacing and, and his shot is even better. But the, the issue is that he's playing with better people and he's in a season of growth and it doesn't feel good for him. It doesn't feel good for any of us when we go through these seasons of growth. It kind of, we're learning a new skill or we're developing in new ways, and, but it's a classroom for our growth. So I told Miles, that's, that's fine. You know, we, we made a commitment to this season. We're gonna finish this season. And I'm gonna let you, it's your call. I mean, if you wanna play rec league, we'll do that. So, but ultimately you have to decide, do you wanna be a, a really good player in the rec league? And that's great. Or do you wanna become one of the best players around? And it's, ultimately it's your call. But if you wanna be great, if you wanna develop in your skills, you're gonna have to play with people who are better than you. You're gonna have to be pushed past the limits that you thought you could be pushed past. James says it this way, that verse we talked about earlier, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Well, he, he explains himself. 
And he says in verse three and four, he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you can be mature and complete and not lacking anything. All of us love the end of that verse, right? I wanna be mature, I wanna be complete, I wanna not lack anything. But James says that there's a process that happens and I don't have time to explain that verse in its entirety, but it doesn't say when you have trials, you'll be mature and complete, not like anything. He says, your trials, your pain, is gonna test your faith. It's gonna be a crisis of faith moment. You don't have to respond with faith. You can get mad, you can get bitter, you can bury it, but if you'll allow it to test your faith, if you'll bring that pain and say, all right, God, I don't like it, I don't like the season I'm in right now, but I'm, I'm gonna choose to trust you with it. I'm gonna choose to allow my faith to grow says that something's gonna happen. The, the Greek word is hupomone. It's translated to patience or perseverance. He says, if we allow, if we respond in faith, then it'll lead to, to perseverance. And that's not a passive patience. That's not like what you need to get through the waiting room at the doctor's office, like where you're, you're just like waiting. No, it's, it's an enduring kind of a perseverance. It's the same quality that would help you finish a marathon, that would help you push past where you thought you could go to, to get to the finish line. That's, that's that word, that perseverance that, that, that God creates and he develops within us that ultimately will lead us to become mature and complete. So pain is, is a classroom for, for my growth. I don't know, maybe you're here today and there's a pain that you're going through and, 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 and you wish that you weren't, but it, you go, you know what, God? I'm gonna, I'm gonna allow you to use this to develop me. Instead of saying, God, why? I'm gonna say, God, what now? How are you growing me? How are you developing me through this pain? Pain puts me in position to help others. It's God's classroom for my growth. I wanna give you one more thought that leaders learn to embrace. Oftentimes, the difference between where I am and where God wants me to be is the pain that I'm unwilling to endure. I'll say that one more time. Often the difference between where I am today and where God wants me to be is the pain that I've said no to, that I am unwilling to endure. You know, the first two, passage, or two, first two points we've talked about, the pain that happens to us, often that we have no control over. But, but when we start talking about leaders, becoming better leaders, learning how to, to, to develop ourselves as leaders, what I'm saying is that there are some doors that on the other side of those doors is God's will for my life, God's plan and his purpose for my life. But there's a painful step. Maybe it's an act of obedience that God's called me to that if I don't walk through that door, I'm gonna stay where I am. And I'm gonna stay at the level that I'm at as a leader. I'm gonna stay where I am in my maturity as a believer. If I don't say yes to some pain, then it's gonna limit where I can go. For example, Maybe you're a parent and, and you're struggling with some character issues. Maybe you've got young kids in the house like I do and, 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 and you're at one of these moments where you know that your child is testing the limits and you know that their, their character is being developed and there's some discipline that you just need to do. You, you, need to, you need to participate in and you don't like it. If you're like me, I hate it. I hate it. I don't like discipline in my kids. I wanna be fun dad. Let mom do the hard work. You know, I just wanna come home and play with them. But, but, but there are these times where we have to step up and we have to, we have to administer consequences to, 
behaviors because it's for their benefit and it's also for ours. Let's say you lead in business and, and maybe you've got somebody that works on your team and, and, and whatever it is, it could be a performance issue, it could be a character issue, but there is a hard conversation. There's a door of pain that, that's it's a hard conversation and you can either ignore it and, and let that person continue to, to operate the way they have or you can go, you know what, I'm gonna pray up on this thing and we're gonna have a hard conversation. And, and, and I'm not gonna allow my desire to be a people pleaser to limit my ability to lead somebody through a difficult time. Sometimes that involves having to let people go and free their future into something else because they're not supposed to be on your team for this season. And there are these hard, painful conversations that leaders learn that, you know what, the difference between where I am and where God wants me to be may be that pain that I've said no to up until this point. In that book that I mentioned earlier, Sam Chand, he says, when you interpret your pain as bigger, more important, more threatening than your vision, then you're gonna redefine your vision down to the threshold of your pain. So, so if, if you interpret your pain, I, you know what? I'm not willing to go there, I'm not willing to do that, then it's gonna limit what God can do in you and through you and the vision that you have for your life to your threshold of pain. I don't know where you're leading right now. It could be that God's calling you to a new thing, to start something, to a new job. But there's a pain that involves leaving where you are now, the place that's comfortable, the place that feels safe, and you've kind of always had this vision and this dream, and maybe you've even prepared a business plan for it, but you, there's this, this pain of leaving that you've said, I don't think I can do that. Maybe you're in a relationship, and the pain is actually saying. It's in a really hard place right now, and, and, and it's difficult, and you've kind of contemplated your options, and you feel like, man, it may be better, it may be easier to just go and start over. And God's saying, no, the difference between where I want you to be and where you are now is the pain of saying, I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna fight for this relationship. The most obvious example that we have of this is the example of Jesus, the one who started this movement, the reason that we even gather here today. And towards the end of his life and ministry, he had this threshold moment, this decision point that he had to make and you'll know the story is when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and he, he brought his disciples there. I'll, I'll show it to you. Matthew 26 says this. Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. So he took Peter and two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. You can kind of get a sense for where Jesus was at. The decision that he was getting ready to make. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. By the way, Jesus wanted his friends with him in his moments of pain. We don't need to go through these moments alone. We need each other. We need community. But here's what it says, going a little further. He fell with his face to the ground and he prayed. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. If it's possible, God, if there is any other way for us to accomplish this purpose, for us to accomplish the forgiveness of sins for everybody in the past, present, and future, if there's a way that it can not involve that cross and not involve that death, would you take it from me? God, I don't, I don't wanna do it. 
I, I want to go any other direction, yet not my will, but yours. And then a couple verses later, he does it again. He says, God, if, if there's not any other way, if this is it, I'm in. I'm gonna cross that threshold of pain. We, we know that God's plan for Jesus was that he would become the sacrifice for all of our sins, that he would become the savior of the world, that he would conquer death so that we wouldn't have to fear it. But that couldn't happen if he wasn't willing to say yes to the cross. And he had options. I never realized it till I was there. I've actually been to Israel and we gathered in what many scholars believe is the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you're standing in that place and you're looking out on the Mount of Olives across into Jerusalem, you realize you're about two miles or so from where Jesus would die on the cross. But if you look the other direction, you're about a mile and a half from the top of the mountain and then on the other side of it is wilderness. He could have disappeared. He could have said, guys, now's not the time. Let's go. Let's get out of here. But he said, no, this is what we have to do. This is a painful decision that I have to step into. And I'm so grateful that he was willing to go to the cross, that he was willing to give the hard yes. Sometimes God calls us to a hard step of obedience. None of us are gonna have to make that choice, thank God, most likely. But as we step into our calling, as we step up as leaders, as we wanna embrace and become part of the change that our community needs in order to show people who God is and what his plan is on this earth, there's gonna be some painful yeses that he asks of us, some painful steps of obedience that are necessary for our growth. Maybe it's a step of repentance, confession. Could be a tough conversation, could be discipline. Couldn't help but think of the many painful choices that my parents, founding pastors here, Greg and Debbie Surratt, had to make in order for this church to be here. You, know, you may not know this, maybe you're new, but this church was birthed out of pain. Painful choice of moving our family from Northern Illinois, from a church that was 20 people when they started uh, leading it, to now it was six to 800 people coming every week. There was growth, there was life, and, and we were only 90 miles from the World Series, people, at the time. I mean, 90 miles drive to Wrigley Field. But they moved our family here. And that accident that I told you about happened months after we got here. They wrestled with, did we miss God here? Did we make a mistake? Should we go back? But they pressed on and there were painful choices after painful choices. And I thank God that they, they walked through those doors because on the other side of that door is this beautiful place that we love that we call Seacoast Church. This church was birthed in pain. Wonder if there's something God's stirring in you that, that's gonna require a painful yes, a painful act of obedience. So, so where are you today? Let's just kind of process our pain together. Maybe you're here and there's a place of pain that you've gone through and for all of your life you've either buried it or maybe you've been buried by it, but today you're gonna go, all right, God, I'm just gonna give it to you. I wanna give you this place and I wanna respond in faith. Maybe he wants to position you to help some other people. I believe, in fact, I've talked to several people already this weekend that some, some ministry ideas that are being birthed out of our pain today, saying, 
God, I'm giving it to you. Maybe it's just that you're in a season of growth and you're gonna go, all right, God, if, if patience is it, if perseverance is what you're developing in me, I'm, I'm in there. I'm, I'm hanging in there. And here's the good news. Whatever pain you're dealing with today, you're not dealing with it alone. Jesus said, I'm never gonna leave you or forsake you. It's not by your power that you produce this change. It's the Holy Spirit that does that work. But we have to be willing to be vessels and say yes. So I wanna pray for us as we close. And as we do, would you mind just holding your, your hands out in front of you like this? Maybe just with a closed fist and just want you to envision whatever that pain represents for you. Maybe it's something that happened a long time ago. It could be something you're walking through right now. It could be a fear of something in the future. I just want you to hold it in your hands. For some of us, we're squeezing tightly. There's a lot of emotion attached to that pain. But as we pray, what I'm gonna ask you to do is just to open your hands and say, God, I'm giving this pain to you. God, I thank you so much for this church. Thank you for the incredible people that have gathered in this space and in the campuses and online. And together as a church, God, we just wanna come to you with our pain. God, we give it to you. God, we ask you to do with it what you want. God, for some of us, you're gonna position us to help others. God, we're finally gonna get to a place where we say, God, I'm willing to, to, if this is part of my story that you've allowed me to experience so that I can help others, the answer is yes. God, we embrace the growth that you wanna do in us. Lord, help us to become mature. Help us to become complete, not lacking anything, so that we can effectively point people to you. And God, I pray, Lord, for those of us that maybe have a hard decision in front of us, maybe a painful decision that we already know the answer, we know what we need to do, but we've been unwilling to say yes up to this point. God, we just say yes to you. Lord, let this be a threshold moment for us that we would turn a page, that we begin to, the healing process, and that we would allow our pain to point people to you. In Jesus' name, amen.